Okay, scary Halloween. This is the time of the year that I have a lifelong uh, ambition and protest to make sure that we don't say happy Halloween. Because if we use the word happy with happy birthday and happy Thanksgiving and happy Easter, then it should not be tied to Halloween. So we also should say scary Halloween, which happens this week. Also this week, next Sunday, is when the time goes backwards and we gain an hour. So make sure you set your clocks now and, uh, no, not now, next week. And uh, so if you show up at this time next week, you will be here for Sunday school, not church. So you'll be here an hour early if you don't set your clocks back. Which is, which is great, it means you cannot be late next week. No excuse, you're not late next week. So that happens next Sunday. If you are visiting with us this morning, um, thank you for coming. We would love to hear from you. There should be a connection card underneath the seat in front of you, unless you're sitting on the front row, then it's underneath your own seat. And you can grab it, fill it out, either electronically or by pen and pencil. You can drop it in the box in the back. And we'd love to hear from you. If you've got a prayer request or you have interest in the ministry, you can also write that on the card and somebody can contact you with that or just to express a need that you may have uh, on that card. So please do that. It's a way to connect with you, either as a visitor or someone interested in this ministry. So we are going to go on to uh, read the scripture. CF is covering the book of John. If you would turn to John chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9 says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. The whole concept of what is true and not true is very gray in our lives and in our world. It always has been and it definitely is today. But recognizing what absolutely is true is very essential to knowing who God is and being the true light in our world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your truth and your light in our lives and in this world. And I pray for our recognition of who you are constantly every day. Pray for CF, for his words, that they may be your words, spoken by your spirit, both to him and to us, and that we may respond and be lights in this world because of who you are in us. And we say this in your name. Amen. We're now going to dismiss the kids ages three through fourth grade. They're going to go out to the hallway and classrooms on this side over here. And that's also where you'll pick them up after the service today. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you here. We got a lot of people out today. Uh, I think 36, 37 of our women are at the ladies' retreat, and they'll be coming back this afternoon, and many other people gone too. Cool weather coming tomorrow, so let's go to the Bible. We'll leave the weather reports alone. So John chapter 1, John chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, I'd like to welcome you here. We are going through a study of the Gospel of John and taking a look at it. We're on John chapter 1 and the ninth verse. 
And we're going to see today what it means for Jesus Christ to be the true light. What does that mean? So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll take a look. Father, we come this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the rain that you gave us this past week. We thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings of life that are set before us for this time of the year, for our friends, for all that you give us. And Father, we gather here this morning to hear your word spoken. And Father, I'm insufficient to deliver that word to your people other than to explain what you've given to me. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would take and make application into the hearts of the people, wherever they may be, that you communicate truth to them to where they can understand your direction for their life and live and serve you. So Lord, we give you this time and this service and ask that you use it for the furtherance of your kingdom and for your glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What we had the last couple of weeks, we looked at John in your Bible there, verses six, seven, and eight, where he talked about John being the forerunner of Christ or being the one that would witness to the light. And what that really serves as is it's very similar to a parenthesis. You know, you got a sentence and you got a parenthesis in the middle, then you pick up again on the sentence. And the sentence would be this, verse four and five, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then you jump to verse nine, that was the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. And then between that, between verses four and five and verse nine is six, seven, and eight, where he talks about John. He says, John was a man and he was not the light, but he wore witness of the light. And then he picks back up here again in verse nine and he says, that was the true light. He's referring back to the person of Christ is what he's referring to. And he's speaking of Christ in that sense. So if you look at the passage, it says that was the true light. The, the, that was is in the imperfect tense. And what the imperfect tense means, just so you know, if you read that passage, you might read it like this. Oh, Jesus was the light. And we think of it in a past tense kind of a way. But an imperfect tense, which is how that word is used right there, the imperfect tense means he was that light, he is that light, and he always will be that light. That's what it, that's what it literally means. You could put it like, because if you look at your text, the, the, the words that and was should be italics or italicized because they're not in the Greek text. The Greek text reads the true light, which gives light to every man who comes in the world. It's in the imperfect tense, and what it's referring to is he was, he is, and he always will be. What's it speaking of? Well, it's saying the true light is coming into the world. It's speaking of his incarnation is what it's speaking of, that Jesus, the true light of God, is going to come into the world, and he's going to reveal to the world who God is. Because Jesus was, is, and always will be the true light, the light is entering time now, and you can always count on the true light. So when darkness comes into your world, understand this, the true light is always shining. Amen. 
And what that tells us as believers is there's hope. There's hope for us because the true light is here. Jesus is always with us. Now, I want to look at that word true, because when he says that was the true light, the root of that word is that first word you see on the screen, alethus. And alethus means true versus false. Okay? But the word that's used in our text is the second word, alethanos, which comes from alethus. And alethanos means real or genuine. Okay? So when it says that Jesus is the true light, it's not saying that John was a false light, okay? It's not saying that other lights that came were false or counterfeit. It's just saying that the true light has come, the genuine or the real light, all right? So, for example, when, when, I, when the Bible says, let your light shine, your light is really the light of Jesus Christ is what it is, because he is the true or genuine light, okay? When John bore witness of the light, he bore witness of what is the true or genuine light, the reality that is yet to come. And so that's what our word means there, that Jesus was the true light. He is the true light, and he always will be the true light. Now, how is he light, okay? First of all, he's light in this sense. He reveals God to man. All right? That, that's his function and purpose of coming into the world. Ultimately, his function and purpose of coming into the world is to do what? Die for man's sin. But he also comes into the world to reveal God to man, to shed light on who is God. Look at verse 18 of John 1. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. That word declare literally means to exegete or to explain. Your you may have a translation that uses the word explain. That's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us a clear, real, and true picture of who God is. He shows us who God is. Now, you think about it. When you go through this New Testament, as we go through John, you're going to constantly see antagonists confronting Jesus. And the foremost antagonists in the New Testament are religious people. See, what they had done is they had created their own understanding of who God was. And when the real God came into the world, they rejected it because they had this false idea in their mind. You can say the word God, and it can mean a wide variety of things to a lot of people. I can tell you that from personal experience, because in my job as director of chaplaincy, I deal with a lot of different religious groups, and every religious group in the world claims God of some kind, and the Eastern religions claim multiple gods. The Hindus and the Buddhists, they'll claim billions of gods exist in the world. And so when Jesus comes into the world, what he does is he reveals or exegetes, explains to us what God is really like. And what is man's response to that? In most of the cases that you're going to see as we go through the gospel, they reject that. I don't want anything to do that. You hear that today. You can sit there and be, 
talking to someone about God and explaining something. They say, well, I don't believe God's like that. I said, really? Where do you get your understanding of God from? And most of it is we have our own understanding or mindset of, of who God is. And it's a distorted view. And so the world that Jesus came into had a distorted view of God. They had a twisted view of God. And so Jesus is going to rightly reveal God to man. Another way that he is light is he shows the true nature and meaning of all things. He reveals what is really true. Because we can believe a lot of things that aren't true. And Jesus sheds light to show us what the true meaning is. And he does that all the time. So he's light in that sense. He's light in a third sense. And that is that he guides men out of darkness. Now what does that mean to guide men out of darkness? Well, sin puts us into darkness. All right. Darkness meaning it blinds us to what is true and real. A person that is in sin is blinded to the truth. All right? And they believe the lie. Sin always blinds you to that. And then ultimately, what's he going to do? As light, he's going to eliminate darkness. He's going to dispel darkness. Whenever Jesus comes into a dark area, he dispels darkness. He, he causes darkness to scatter or to move. And so when we say that Jesus is the true light, what we mean by true is he is the complete fulfillment of all light that came before him. John uses this word true in many other places in the Bible. Turn to John chapter 6. Look in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, uh, I want you to look at, at something there. Look at John chapter 6 and look at uh, verse 32. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is claiming to be the true bread. And what does that mean? What's that whole thing mean about God giving them bread and stuff? Well, he's referring back to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God brought manna down to the people. And they ate the manna, the bread from heaven, and they lived. And what he's saying is, in the same way that that bread sustained physical life, I come so that you might have true life, real life. Because spiritual life is much more important than physical life. Because spiritual life goes on forever. Physical life is going to come to an end. Okay, so Jesus is the true bread in that sense. Go to John 15. Go to John chapter 15. Verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. What's he saying there? He's saying, I am the genuine vine. If you want to know how to live life, you've got to be attached to the vine because the branches that come off of it feed off of the vine. And so Jesus is saying, I am the true source of life. He goes on in that passage, and we'll see it later when we get to John 15, where he says in verse 5, 
He says, for without me, you can do nothing. And what that means, you can do nothing of spiritual worth or value unless you're connected to the person of Jesus Christ. So he's constantly presenting himself as that which is real, true, or genuine. And so in this case, I'm back to John 1. John says that he is the true light which gives light to every man. So he is the true light that gives light to every man. And the children of Israel understood this because the Old Testament prophesied one who would come into the world and be the true light for mankind. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke and go look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to see a prophecy in relationship to John the Baptist. And this prophecy is going to come from his father, Zacharias. I'm going to be in Luke 1 and 67. And so Zacharias, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you Zacharias was mute. He couldn't talk until John the Baptist was born. And then he began to speak. And then he proclaims this prophecy in 67. He says, now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us to the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, he's speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the days of his manifestation to Israel. So John is prophesied to be a light, but yet John the writer tells us that John the Baptist wasn't that true light, but he was a witness to that light. So he was a forerunner to the true light. Look in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 25, and this is Simeon doing a prophecy of the person of Jesus Christ. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And that means the Lord's promised one or the, the promise that God gave the children of Israel and all of mankind back in the Old Testament. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. In other words, he was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him according to the custom of the law, they were going to circumcise him. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now note, what is God's salvation? It's the person of Jesus Christ. That's as clear as a bell in that passage. Which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Jesus is the true light sent from God into the world. The light of God is clear. The light of God is pure. The light of God penetrates. It enlightens. It reveals. It guides. It exposes. It warns all the people of what God expects. And that's what Jesus Christ does. He is a true light that comes into the world. Now understand this also. Being the true light of God means that Jesus Christ fulfills all the types that came before him. He fulfills all that. You go through the Old Testament and you will read and you will see typology after typology after typology. What is typology in the Bible? Typology in the Bible is a prefigurement of something true and real that is yet to come. For example, Moses is referred to as a type of Christ. What does that mean? Well, if you look at the picture of Moses, Moses was raised up by God from among the people, and he confronted Pharaoh, and he led the people of Israel out of captivity and bondage into the promised land. And there's a lot of typology in that story of Moses. For example, captivity in Egypt is a picture of sin. When man is in sin, he is in bondage. He is a slave to sin, according to the book of Romans. Okay? Moses leads man out of that. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Moses is pictured as a type of Christ. And so he's the deliverer who leads the children of Israel out of bondage, out of the power of Pharaoh, into the promised land to live for God by faith. Joseph is referred to as a type of Christ. He's mistreated by his brothers, thrown into captivity, and yet ends up delivering his brothers from death. Perfect picture of Jesus Christ. You can look in the Bible at the feasts, and you see all the feasts of Israel that are proclaimed. And yet Jesus Christ being the true light is the fulfillment of all that. Matter of fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You just, let's just take the feast of Passover, for example. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Amen. 
So see, when he says Christ is our Passover, what was the Passover? Well, they'd take a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb. And what was the lamb? Meaning God would pass over your sins. Jesus fulfills that because he's the true light. And when he fulfills it, he fulfills all that that entails. God's hand of judgment passes over you because Jesus is your Passover. Amen. Okay? What about at the Feast of Tabernacles? Go to, go to John 8. Now, we'll look at this in more detail when we get to John 8. But in John 8, at the, at the Feast of Booths at Sukkoth, they lit a big candle. They would light up a big candle. And it was a picture of light coming into the world. And you can imagine the turmoil that was created in verse 12. When Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Yeah. He's saying, y'all can have that candle if you want to. Yep. Well, he said, you can have the reality. And the reality is me. I am the light of the world. I am the one that exposes sin. I am the one that exposes darkness or dispels darkness. I am the one that reveals God. He is the true light. And so a lot of people in, in Christianity today want to go back and they want to bring all these types into their life and say, well, we ought to be doing this feast and we ought to be doing that feast and we ought to be honoring this day and that day. All those types point to the reality, brother. When you have Jesus, you've got all that. Amen. Don't go back and get the imitation when you can have the real thing. That's right. Jesus is the fulfillment. So when you have Christ, you have all that. Look in the book of Colossians. Look in the book of Colossians chapter two. Paul dealt with this. It was a problem in his day too. So look in Colossians chapter two. Now I want you to look at verse, uh, oh, let me see here. Let's go to verse 16, Colossians 2, 16. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Okay. In religious groups, there's a lot of people that want to add things to the Christian life and say, okay, you got to keep this in order to really be right with God. You can't eat this sort of food in order to be really right with God. And I shared it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, a lot of times, probably the most common thing people throw out there is pork. You know, a Christian isn't supposed to eat pork. I said, okay, that's, that's not in the Bible. But anyway, if you believe that, that's fine. God told the children of Israel, you can't eat pork. Right. Now, why did he tell them that? Because he said pork is unclean. And what does that mean? Does that mean pigs are nastier than cows? No. Clean or unclean, as expressed in the Bible, means that when you're offering a sacrifice to God, the only sacrifices he accepts are clean sacrifices. By clean, it has nothing to do with the sanitation of the sacrifice. It means the only thing I will accept is this, this, and this. And what I accept, I have called clean or acceptable is what he's saying. But people will take that clean 
and related to the sanitation of a pig. And they'll say, have you ever seen a pig how nasty they are? Well, have you ever seen any confinement animal and how nasty they are? Animals are nasty. That's all there is to it. And you cram more of them into an area, you, you just get more nastiness in there. But it's not that the pig is just looking to be filthy or something. That's not what that means. See, the pagan nations around there, they use pigs all the time in their sacrifices. And when they use pigs in their sacrifices, if one of the children of Israel cooked a pig up, you know what it'd look like? They were making a sacrifice. God didn't want them doing that. He said, I want you to sacrifice just certain animals, and I will tell you which animals, because I only accept clean animals. Clean means acceptable to God. Unclean means unacceptable to God. It has nothing to do with that animal. And yet people will try to drag that over into Christianity and say, you're not supposed to eat pigs. But also, you're not supposed to eat hoot owls either. <laughs> and shrimp and crabs. If you're under the old covenant and you're a Jew living under the law, my goodness, I'm not living under the law. Jesus came and he kept that whole law and I get credit for it. He told Peter, he said, Peter, look in this sheet. And he lowers this sheet in front of Peter and it has every animal that there is. He says, don't you ever call something unclean that I've called clean. In other words, all these animals are acceptable now, Peter. Kill and eat. So we're free to do that. But people will drag that stuff over and they'll try to add that to them. And because, see, it's a lot easier to not eat pork than it is to love your brother. And I can, I can keep pork out of my diet, but man, it's hard to not hate you. You follow where I'm coming from? It, it's a lot easier to do these external, exterior things, and that's the very sin of the Pharisees. They said, we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do this, therefore we're right with God. And there are a lot of people in Christian circles that live like that. I don't drink, I don't smoke, cuss, chew, go with the girls that do. I'm better than you. And people wear that as like a badge of honor and they stand tall and proud and inside their heart they hate people that do drink, cuss, chew, and go with the girls that do. Which is worse. Hating them is the worst. It's what's internal that's the issue, not the external. And so all these typologies were done to point people to a certain reality that was to come. And that's what he's talking about here. So look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Look at this. Which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. See, it's just like Christ is standing here and there's a shadow cast out in front of him. You know what that shadow is? It's all the types. Because see, the true light's coming into the world. And when he comes into the world, the shadow's gone and you have the wholeness of Christ right there. The fulfillment of everything that pointed to him beforehand. He is the true full. That's what he means by true light. He is the true light that comes into the world. Don't hold on to all that stuff that's pointing to him coming, folks. He has come. 
And so what you have to do and what I have to do is embrace the person of Christ. And when you embrace the person of Christ, you have every one of the types that has ever come because you've got the fulfillment in him. That's the reality. Christ kept the whole law. And when he dies on the cross, he dies as an acceptable substitute for me because he was perfectly righteous. He didn't violate one spot of that law. And he gets on the cross and he can be crucified because he's an offering. Is my mic on? Okay. Some of you were sleeping. I didn't know. Uh, and so he is the reality or the fulfillment of that. He comes and he keeps the whole law and goes to the cross sinless. And when he's on that cross, my sin is put on him. To Jesus, you don't have any sin, but you're going to have CF sin on you. And so he dies for my sin. And when I trust Christ, guess what? God says, I give you the credit for all the perfect that he did. I get perfect righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. It's transferred into my account. My account is zero. Really, my account is in the red. It's minus millions because that's what I owe God. I owe debts to God that I can never pay. And Jesus takes that debt. He pays that debt. And he says, look, I, I, kept, I was perfect. No sin. I kept it all. You get perfect credit for that. You get complete righteousness. That's what he did. When he came into the world, he is the true light. He fulfills all that God promised beforehand. It is all found in the person of Christ. That's why we worship Christ, because Christ is the one that gives us our righteousness before God. It's not me keeping a feast or not eating a certain food or not drinking a certain drink or something like that. It's Jesus Christ giving me his full righteousness because he did all that on my behalf. I don't have to keep all that stuff. Now, the Bible also allows that if you want to keep that stuff and you honor a certain day or something like that, that's your business. But it's, it's not my business to tell you what to do. That's what Paul says. Don't let other people judge you because you don't do this. And I'm going to tell you, people that do that kind of stuff, they're pretty quick to do it to you. They'll, they'll say, you don't do that? Oh, my goodness. You know what the Bible says? Folks, the Bible says a lot of stuff that doesn't apply to you or me. I've never been a Jew in covenant relationship with God under the old covenant. That stuff doesn't apply to me. That stuff applied to them. I'm a new covenant believer. That's the only covenant I've entered into. And I entered that covenant when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he brought me into faith. And so my job is to keep that. Well, what's the fulfillment of that? To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbors yourself. Amen. See, in the old covenant, it's, it's this external stuff that brought you into a right standing. And the new covenant is, I'm in a right standing, therefore the good stuff should come out of my life. It's a big difference. It's completely flipped around. And so you take something from the old and try to add it to the new, all it's going to do is bring confusion and dissatisfaction and discontentment into your life. 
Because what you're saying is, Jesus is not sufficient. I need something else. God says, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. You believe on Jesus, you have it all. You have all that God intends for you to have. So that's what we see in the true light. The other part of this passage, look at it, it says, that was the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. This portion of the passage can be somewhat difficult too, this phrase, coming into the world. Because the coming into the world is a modifier. Now in the King James Version, I've got a new King James. King James Version, it looks like coming into the world modifies man. Okay, now I know I'm putting you to sleep on that. When you, when you look at the English language, you have verbs and there'll be things that modify or put conditions on it, okay? And in this case, what you have is you have a modifier on a noun. What is a noun? Well, it looks like it's man, okay, is what it looks like. But the grammar that's used here, the modifier can either modify man as it does in the King James Version or it can refer to the light coming into the world. The grammar allows either way, okay? And what the dominant view is that people hold to is that it modifies man, okay? And what they'll do is they'll say, Jesus coming in the world gives light unto all men, and that's a picture of natural revelation. But see, I reject that for this reason. Jesus is not natural revelation. Jesus is special revelation. Okay? And I can tell you, every man that comes in the world is not enlightened about Jesus. That's just clear. And that, that's obvious in Scripture. Look at Romans 1. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll show you what natural revelation is. Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What that means is that through the creation, God reveals himself to the world. And all he's doing is saying that he, that he exists and that he's powerful. That is general or natural revelation. Everyone in the world knows that there is a God. And the scripture says that what men do is because of their sin, they suppress that truth. So men deny God. They deny his presence. When Jesus comes in the world, Jesus is special revelation. And special revelation is very unique because special revelation reveals the person of Jesus Christ. And through special revelation, you can, that's how you're saved. You understand who Jesus is. So when you look at this passage, if you get into a translation like NAS, New American Standard, NIV, it's going to tra translate it like this. Now, I'm going to read to King James first, then I'll read the other one. King James says, that was the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. The NAS version will read like this. Coming into the world, he enlightens every man. Now, there's a big difference between those two, and let me explain it. The word coming means continually coming. He's always coming. He has always been coming. And when he comes into the world, what does he do? He draws a dividing line 
for man on what is sin. He makes it perfectly clear to man. General revelation, you don't really have a clear picture of sin. Special revelation, it's crystal clear. Now, now we're going to look at some passages where it talks about him coming in the world. So what I'm saying in this passage is that the true light enlightens people because it is the true light coming into the world. It's Jesus. When Jesus comes into the world, man gets a clear picture of where he stands. That's what the passage is saying, okay? Turn with me to John 6.14. 6.14. Let me read it to you here. You can see they had this idea. So why I'm saying this is for this reason. John keeps repeating over and over this idea of coming into the world. Look at John 6.14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet which is to come into the world. Look at John 11 and 27. John 11 and 27 says this. Let me find it here. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. John 16 and 28. John 16 and 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Look at John 18, speaking of Pilate here. 1837, 1837. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world. Go back to chapter 1 of John. Look at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So what I'm saying is, this passage is highlighting the fact that he's come into the world. And by coming into the world, he enlightens man to his true position before God. Look over at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world. See, coming into the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There's another place Jesus says, if I had not come, they would not have any sin. And so what that passage is saying, that because Jesus is a true light, when men see Jesus Christ, they understand I have sin. And that separates, that divides people. That, that is the sword Jesus talked about. I'm going to bring a sword, I'm going to divide. Because people are all happy with the general idea of Jesus until you really get down to the fine print and you realize Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, meaning there is no other. 
And you'll see that a lot of times exposed in media, for example. I remember one time, Larry King was a master at this. He would get religious leaders on his show and he would ask them, well, Christian leaders, he would say, well, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? And what I mean by that, and Larry King was a Jew, so he'd say, a good practicing Jew that really loves God is not going to go to heaven if he doesn't trust Jesus. And the answer to that question is, yes, that's exactly what it means. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true light of God. I remember when he had Joel Olstein on there. Joel Olstein put that old fake smile on his face and looking around. Well, Brother Larry, I believe that if a person truly loves God, that they're going to be accepted by God. Brother, ain't what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is a dividing line. He is a sword. And people don't like that idea. They say, you got an exclusionary religion. What did Jesus say? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. They shoot holes all in me. Look at him, man, thinking he knows what's right and what's not right. Thinking he's got the truth and no one else has it. And they always phrase it like that. But folks, I'm here to tell you, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the true light that is coming to the world. He is the genuine and real light. And he is the full revelation of God. And when you have the person of Jesus Christ, you have the fullness of God. Paul said there in the book of Colossians, he said, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. He is all of God is what he is. And so we look at our passage here in John 1, and he says, that was the true light, the genuine, the real light that gives light to every man by coming into the world. He enlightens every man. Because folks, I'm here to tell you, that not everyone is going to believe on Jesus. That's clear. So he does, if, as a matter of fact, he does not enlighten everyone as far as their relationship to God. That's clear. Bible's very clear on that because the Bible tells us that the great white throne, those that have not trusted Christ are going to be cast into the lake of fire. There's going to be a separation there. Why? It's going to come down to the person of Jesus Christ. What it's going to come down to. That is the dividing line that's very clear and, and very evident throughout Scripture. And so when you see this passage, some people look at this and say, well, it relates to general or natural revelation. And I will tell you, that is the dominant view that people hold to. But Jesus is not general revelation. Jesus does not give light to every person in the world. He doesn't. His light reveals the sinfulness of man is what it does. And man understands that he is deficient. Quakers view this passage as Jesus gives that inner light to all people. And I'm not going to go off into what they mean by that, okay? What I see it as, Jesus is special revelation for man. And he gives man an objective revelation to where distinctions are made between believer and unbeliever. 
Because see, all people are condemned. John says there in John 3 that all men stand condemned. Jesus doesn't condemn everyone because the whole human race is condemned already. Jesus comes in the world as light and you will know whether a person believes on Jesus or not whether they come to Jesus. He is the divider. He is the separator that comes. And so the truth for you to carry out of here today is this. If you have Christ, you have the true light of God. You have the fulfillment of God. You don't need to add to your life a bunch of external extra things because with the person of Jesus, Jesus gives you credit for all that stuff. You have all of God when you have the person of Jesus Christ. All of God. You have the light of God because Jesus is the true or genuine light that is coming to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the light that you've given us to the person of Christ. That you've given us true life through him. And we're grateful for that. And you have blessed us with that. And we rejoice in that. Lord, let us shine our light to others. The light of you in our life. Let them see that through us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.